Thank you so much for your leadership, guys, and leading us before uh, the throne of God as we have the opportunity to worship Him. Jesus says that the Father loves those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And such are the kind of people that the Father seeks after. For those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. In the Old Testament, um, we find in the book of Amos that we find that the groups of people there would go to the altar regularly and because they loved to do so. But their worship was so far from God that He began to say to them, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I was reading a story about an old preacher in an old country church. He went and made a visit to one of the farm families that lived in that area. And when he came into the house, the man took him in and they sat down in the chairs. And the man, the old farmer, was talking to the old preacher. And while they were in a conversation, the little boy, the farmer's son, come bursting into the room. And he was excited. And he'd come swinging open the door and he had in his hand a big dead rat. Now, he didn't see the preacher there. And so he run right in and he said, Daddy, look, look, this rat was crawling by the barn. And I saw him. And so what I did was I kicked him in the side and I picked him up and then I started hitting him against the side of the barn. And then I threw him down and I took a two by four and I beat him on his head and I beat him on his head. Then he saw the pastor and he went, then the Lord called him home. (laughs) You know, what's amazing to me sometimes is we know how to sometimes use the right language to make ourselves look spiritual, don't we? Let's be honest, sometimes... We use the right music and we use the right songs and people are watching us. And we want people to think that we're spiritual. But we have to remember that the Father is the one who sees us constantly. He knows the depths of our hearts. He knows the words that are flowing from our lips. And what the Father wants to hear is a pure heart leading in worship. I just want you to know that every night I have been blessed to listen to you worship in spirit and in truth, and to exalt the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it has blessed my heart. Well, this conference is called Totally His. And we've been looking at a lot of these things that we're focusing on to develop a heart that's totally His. And I want to tell you that as you pursue being totally His, there are going to be three forces that will be at work against you Every day of your life. Last night we saw one of those, and that's your flesh. Every single day, I said last night, there's civil war within you. And somebody's will is going to die. Your will or God's will. And so every day you have to battle your flesh. But every day you have to battle also the enemy of your soul, and that is Satan. Now, he himself probably won't spend time with people like you and me, but he's got his emissaries, the demons. And he is always at work to try to discredit the testimony of those who are totally his. So you've got your flesh, you've got the devil, and you've got the world. The world is always seeking to entice you. The world is always seeking to pull you away from your conviction and your love for the Lord Jesus. 
And the world is always working to try to reshape everything about you into its priorities. You know what the world will do? The world will try to reshape your language. To take away the language of Christ and give you the language of the world. The world will try to reshape your literature. To pull you away from the truth of God's word and focus on the philosophies of the culture. The world will try to reshape your lifestyle. Rather than walking in holiness and purity, the world will want you to compromise those things. And the world will also try to reshape your loyalty. To get cause you to have loyalty towards the things of this culture. So you are living in a culture that is set against you. And every day you're going to have to navigate your life in such a way that you're going to have to make a commitment that I'm not going to compromise with the things of the world. This evening I want us to look at what I'm calling a message called No Compromise. And I want us to look at the lives of some young men who were Hebrews who lived about the 5th century B.C., and they were in a culture that was set against them and trying to cause them to compromise. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their story is found in Daniel chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 3. And what I want to show you tonight are four things and four ways that they stood against compromise. And they stood on some particular areas. And and as we look at their life and as we examine how they did this, this can be an encouragement to you and me. We can be totally His, even in a culture that will spend everything it's got to get you to compromise your life and your love for the Lord Jesus. As you're turning to Daniel chapter 3, let me give you, set up the whole scene here. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they were all from the, the nation of Israel was divided into two sections. There was the, 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 the Israel, which was the northern kingdom, and Judah, which was the southern kingdom. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were from Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel had wicked kings after kings. Judah had some very godly kings. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego grew up during the time of one of the most godly kings in Judah, Josiah. And it was through Josiah that a great revival swept through the land of Judah. And they were caught up in all that, so they understood that. They're teenagers. In 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes in and he takes captive many of the people of Judah, and he brings them back with him to Babylon. And he brings back the the most impressive, the most intelligent, the best looking, the most outstanding of all of these people of Judah. And among them are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so he brings them back, and for, for three years, he invests in their life. He puts them in his school. He teaches them philosophy. He teaches them all the sciences. He teaches them everything. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego begin to rise above everybody else in all of Babylon. So the king promotes them, and they're governors, and they're in charge of a large section and, and responsibilities in the kingdom of Babylon. 
Well, in chapter 2, the king has a dream, and he's perplexed by this dream. He doesn't trust his his wise men, so he says, I want you to not only interpret the dream, but tell me what the dream was. Well, they say, nobody can do that. Daniel says, give me a few days, let me pray over it, that will only come from God. And then Daniel gives him not only the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. And the dream was a giant statue whose head was gold, whose chest was silver, whose midsection and thighs were bronze, whose legs were iron. Those represent the four governments that are and will be at that point. And then he interprets it for him. Well, the king is so impressed by this. In chapter 3, apparently this dream literally goes to his head. Because Nebuchadnezzar represented the golden head in the statue. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That's 90 feet. Nine stories tall. Okay, and and his breadth was six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura. Now, Dura was this wide open plain where literally hundreds of thousands of people could gather in one section. He put it right dead center in the plain of Dura. And everyone could see this 90-foot statue. When the sun was rising or setting, it would reflect off the gold of that statue. And you would see it from everywhere in that province. The king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, and the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of that image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps and prefects and governors and counselors and treasurers and justices and magistrates and all the officials and provinces gathered for the dedication of the image of king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed loud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigen, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Listen, he made it very clear. When you hear the music, you are to bow or you burn. You kneel or you grill. You shake or you bake. (laughs) He was serious. He didn't care about your record of Sunday school attendance. He didn't care how many Awana bucks you've earned in your life. The reality is this. When you heard the music, you immediately fell or you would be fried. What happens? And the people, he says that... And whoever does not will immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigen, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I want you to imagine this. Hundreds of thousands of people on the plain of Dura. The music begins and everybody falls. It was like the wave. It was the Babylonian wave. It started in the beginning and worked its way all the way to the back. Verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. 
You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigen, harp, um, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. But there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They refused to compromise. Now I want you to imagine a picture. Hundreds of thousands of people falling. Boom. Three people standing. I want you to notice some about these guys. They stood in a couple of ways. Number one, here's the first point. They stood under pressure. They stood under pressure. While everyone else fell to their face... Before this golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three of them stood erect. And they stood in the midst of the pressure of an entire country. Now I want you to notice that they stood under two kinds of pressure. Number one, they stood under fear pressure. They stood under this fear pressure because they understood the reality of what would happen if they don't bow. It wasn't that they would just lose their jobs. It wasn't that they would lose their prominent position in the kingdom. It wasn't that they were going to lose all of the possessions that they may have earned. They all knew that if they stood, they would lose their life. They knew they would die. Now, I I thought about what they could have done. They could have been very creative and they could have gotten together and they say, Hey guys, why don't we do this? Let's just go ahead and bow. And while everybody else is bowing to the image, we will bow and worship the true God. But you see, here's why they wouldn't bow. It wasn't that they didn't want people to know who they were worshiping. They did not bow because they wanted everybody to know who they were not worshiping. And they wanted everyone to know that they would in no way compromise their faith. I want to tell you, every time you and I have an opportunity to compromise, one of the things that drives that is a fear pressure. We can be afraid of what people will think. It's that kind of fear pressure. I remember when I was a senior in high school, shortly after I had gotten saved. It was about three months after I came to faith in Christ. Man, I was on fire for Jesus. I mean, I had my little Jesus cross on. I had my WWJD bracelet on. I had my Carmen music in the cassette tape player on. Some of you have no idea who Carmen is, and I'm not talking about Carmen who works here. (laughs) Some of you who know who I'm talking about. And man, I was on fire for Jesus. I pulled up at this gas station, and this kid came up to me. His name was Mike. And Mike came up to me. He said, Phil, is it true what I hear about you? I said, what do you hear? He says, man, I I hear that you become a Jesus freak. And man, you're wearing this cross and everything now? I said, no, man, no, 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 man. Somebody gave me this cross. I'm wearing it. I'm not a Jesus freak or anything like that. He said, man, good, because I thought you were going to be a holy roller. And he walked off. And when he left, I felt horrible. Why did I not tell him the truth? Now, I didn't suffer anything necessarily of that except for lacking and losing an opportunity 
to be blessed. But that kid, Mike, was killed in a car wreck two weeks later. Now, I'm not responsible for his salvation. My theology goes much deeper than that. But I missed out on an opportunity to stand boldly, unashamedly for Christ. You see, they stood with fear pressure, but they also stood with peer pressure. You know, here's the thing. Uh, People could have been pulling on them. Just think of all the other Jews that were in Babylon. All the other Jews who bowed. All the other ones who were probably pulling at their skirts. Hey, guys, what are you doing? Get down here now. Maybe they could have thought, you know what? Our Jewish people need us. They need us to lead them. They could have come up with a lot of excuses. But they refused to give in to the peer pressure around them. And you have a lot of peer pressure. A lot of people who are pulling on you. And sometimes they want you to compromise. You know why they stood under pressure? You know why they were able to stand? Let me tell you why they were able to stand. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made a decision not to compromise long before they ever got to the plain of Dura. If you're going to wait until a time of temptation to make a decision on what you do, you most likely will not do what's right. You make a decision to not compromise long before you get to that plane. And you stand under pressure. You stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you stand resting in Him. They stood under pressure. But I want to show you the second thing they stood on. They stood on principle. They stood on principle. Notice what happens next in verse 13. The Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true... O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Is it true? Is it true that you're not going to bow to my God? Is it true after all I've done for you? Is it true that everything I've invested in you for three years? Is it true that even after I have given you a place of prominence, you are not going to bow? And we find their response. But here's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar hears that they didn't bow, so he gives them an opportunity. And he puts it this way. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigeon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Why? Because it's true. It's true. You want to know what the culture wants to know from you? The culture wants to know Is it true? Is it true that you're really a child of God? Is it true that you believe the things that you preach? 
Is it true that you live according to the things that you study? You know what the culture wants so badly? The culture wants to see the church being the church. The culture wants to see believers acting like Jesus. The culture peers into your youth group and wants to know if it's true. They look into the windows of our churches and they want to know, is it true? And they want to see this thing being real. And when you and I are standing in opportunities in a moment of compromise, we should be able to stand and say, it is true. I am living and I will fulfill the convictions that God has placed in my heart. And I will demonstrate that it's true. Gandhi, who was a great leader in India often said that the reason, one of the reasons he did not become a Christian was because of Christians. And that one of the things we see today in a lot of our polls is people no longer trust spiritual leaders. I read a poll this morning. Do you know that 80% of Americans have great confidence in scientists today? And about 40% have confidence in spiritual leaders? And the reason is... They don't live what they say. The world is looking at you. And the world wants to know, is it true? Are you real? And will you stand on the principles of God's word regardless of the cost? It's a great question. Is it true? And they stood on principle. Now... This did not set well with Nebuchadnezzar. He was a man of incredible outrage. And what happens after that? We see in verse 17. um, If this be so, he says, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand O king. Here's the third thing they did. You see, they not only stood under pressure, they not only stood on principle, but thirdly, they stood with perspective. These guys had an incredible perspective. And they had a perspective that was driven by a number of things. Notice how he says this. If this be so, our God, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They had four perspectives. And when we, as believers, are going to stand with no compromise, we need to understand these perspectives. Let me give them to you. Number one, they stood with companions. They stood with one another. He says, if it be so, our God. They stood together. These three brothers made a commitment that they would not bow. And they made a commitment that they would stand holding one another accountable, linked arm in arm, because we are in this together. 
I want you to know something. God created us for community. And we see the mark of the Trinity in our lives. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit have perfect community with one another. And when God created us, He created us to be people of community. And we are not to live this Christian life on our own. We are not to try to overcome the difficulties that face us on our own. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit who lives within us, not only do we have the Word of God, but we have one another. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. The Lone Ranger had Tano. And you and I have one another. And their perspective was, I'm not in this alone. I've got people who are going to stand with me. They stood understanding that they stood with companions, but secondly, they stood in commitment. Our God whom we serve. We serve the Lord together. We are walking together hand in hand as we give obedience to God. And they were absolutely committed to the cause together. I want to tell you, some of you came here with friends. Some of you were dragged here by a friend. And you have an opportunity to encourage one another through the course of this week and in the days past this week of walking together and making a commitment that we will not compromise. The third thing was they had confidence. The God whom we serve is able to deliver us. They had absolute confidence in the power of God that He would provide the answers that they needed. And the last thing they had was contentment. I love this. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're not going to do it. Our God is capable. He has the ability to deliver us. But even if He does not, we are not going to serve you. The thing I love about this is they were not presumptuous on the will of God. They trusted the providence of God. They trusted the goodness of God. And even if it were God's will not to deliver them, their standing was not based upon specific blessings other than obedience. Obedience. Even if he doesn't do it, we will not bow. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics. Then we read in verse 22. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And here's what we find, the fourth thing. They stood in protection. They were able to stand in protection. 
They were bound, it says a number of times, three times in fact, that they were bound. They stood in God's incredible protection. And they were protected from a number of things. But verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and he said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. I want to give you a couple of things that they walked in. Number one, they had freedom. They had freedom. In their obedience, in the hottest point in their life, in the most difficult struggle because of a refusal to compromise, they had freedom. It says that they were unbound and they were walking in the midst of the furnace. I want you to know something. You might find yourself in a hot place because you refuse to compromise on God's word. But I want you to know something. When you refuse to compromise, you are walking in freedom. Because you're walking in obedience. And God is calling you to refuse to compromise so you will be free. The world, the flesh, the devil wants to bind you. But obedience to God's word and his will and his ways always produces freedom in your life. Not only were they walking in freedom, they had fellowship. They had incredible fellowship. It says, isn't the fourth like one of the sons, like a son of the gods? Many scholars believe that this was a a, a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. The Lord walking in the midst of this fiery furnace. I want you to know something. In the hottest time of your life, when you're walking in obedience, Jesus is with you. He is with you. You see, people will make you think that, oh, you know, if I don't, if I don't give in to the compromise of the world, I'm going to be doing this on my own. No, you will not. Because the Lord Jesus will go with you into the most fiery difficulties of your life. He never leaves you or abandons you. There is fellowship. And then, what happens next? Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 26. And he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He says to them, come out and come here. Now, he's looking into the fire. He sees all this and he says, hey guys, come on out. It's okay, come out. I want you to come out. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Their hair, the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Now, here's interesting that happens. Nebuchadnezzar is astonished now because of their obedience to God. He goes on and he says that, you know what? If anybody says anything negative about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to rip them limb from limb and burn down their house. 
That was his favorite phrase all through. If you disobeyed him, he's going to rip you from limb to limb and burn down your house. Now, all of a sudden, he's had this change. He's saying, listen, I'm so impressed that they would give up their lives before they would bow to my idol. And he does something to them. What does he do? Here's the last thing. They had favor. They had favor. Because what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Look at verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He promoted them. They became the top leaders in the land. They became the people that everybody knew. This is true. These men will not compromise. Because in their heart, there was one Lord, Almighty God. In their heart, there was one love, their devotion to Him. In their heart, there was one law, the Word of God. And what we see in their life is that God uses them, puts them on a platform to impact the lives of countless people. Listen, the world wants you to compromise. And you have an opportunity to say no compromise. You can stand under pressure, regardless of what the fear and regardless of what the peer pressure is. You can stand on principle, on the truth of God's Word above all things. You can stand with a heart that has the right perspective. I'm not in this by myself. We are in this together. You can stand with the protection of the Lord Himself, never letting you walk through a difficulty alone. And you can enjoy freedom and fellowship and the favor of the Lord. Now let me just say this. Why should we not compromise? Because your Savior did not compromise for you. Your Savior walked in full obedience to His Father. The Lord Jesus obeyed His Father perfectly. The Lord Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there He is struggling with the greatest task before Him, the cross. And his flesh is struggling with his divinity. He sweats drops of blood. And what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross. And he refused to compromise anything of the plan of the Father. So that you and I can be forgiven. And you and I can be reconciled to a holy God. And because what He has done for us, He is calling us to walk according to His heart. When you leave here this week, the world, the flesh, and the devil will all be pulling against you. You will enter your plane of Dura. There will be 
opportunities to compromise. But there will be the incredible opportunity to say, it is true. And you walk in the truth. I'd like for you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Just get settled for a moment. Do you live your life in such a way that people who know that you claim to be a Christian can say it is true? It is true. Have you made a commitment in your life that before you ever get to the plain of Dura, you will stand firm in your convictions and in the truth of God. Do you trust that no matter what trial you go through, the Lord Jesus will not abandon you to yourself. He will walk with you through the hottest ordeals of your life. Are you willing tonight to stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And no compromise. I want you to take the next couple of moments to think on these things. In your heart, just you and the Lord Jesus. If there are areas of your life that you are have a propensity to compromise in. Confess those to Him. Ask Him to give you the boldness to stand, even if it costs you everything. And make a commitment to be totally His, regardless of what the world wants to do.
Father, I thank you for every individual here tonight. Father, for those who have trusted you as Lord and Savior, who have made a commitment to be totally yours. I pray, Father, that you would empower them to stand under any pressure. To stand in principle. To stand with the right perspective. To stand in the protection of your word and your promises. I pray, Father, for the young women in this room that you would cause them to rise up and be bold women of purity and holiness. Father, that they would not compromise in any way, that even tonight they would make their decision to stand firm before they ever get to the plain of Dura. Father, I pray for the young men in this room tonight, that as they stand on the promises of your word, and Father, that they stand boldly, that you would use them as great instruments of, in your hand to be the spiritual leaders that you are calling them to be and that there would be no compromise. Father, enable us to demonstrate with our lives that what we say is true. And, Father, that you would receive all glory, all honor, and all praise that is due your name. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.